one of my very favorite things about Jesus, probably my number two favorite thing, is that when he shows up and gets involved, the rules of the world are turned upside down. You say you're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath, Jesus asks. Well, bring that man with a withered hand to me and I'll show you that God's glorious gift of healing is available to you every single day of your life. And when the people mumble behind Jesus' back because he's spending time with prostitutes and tax collectors, he turns around, he faces his accusers and says, she may be a prostitute, but ever since I entered your house, she has not stopped washing my feet with her tears and drying them with her hair and rubbing them with ointment, while you have not so much as offered me a wash basin for my feet. What God values is not our standing in society, but our kneeling before God to honor the divine love we have received in Christ. Jesus tells his accusers he may be a tax collector, but when he knelt down to pray next to you in the synagogue, he couldn't even look up to heaven, but bowed his head and beat his breast and cried, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. While you prayed and gave thanks that you were not like this tax collector trash kneeling next to you. And whose prayer do you think God heard? The sincere cries of the faithful rise to heaven faster than the self-satisfied crowing of some religious leaders. You see, when Jesus shows up, the world is turned upside down. They kill him on a cross and the rules of this world say that's the end. The wicked have triumphed. But he rises from the dead and leaves the tomb empty. And now everything is changed forever. Because God's love is stronger than death and mightier than wickedness. And there are two reasons why I love and commend to you this wonderful sense of topsy-turviness that Jesus brings. First, when he upends the social order, he's letting us know that the ways of this world are an illusion. The hierarchy we know, the pecking order, the how power works around here, these are all man-made structures. But God's truth is greater. Jesus proclaims the last shall be first. And this is good news for us because despite the sense of worldly success or failure you might feel, even in a town as affluent as Los Gatos, what matters more than anything is that we are all equally beloved by God. Mercy is shown to those who suffer, despite how this world treats them, and repentance is required of those who would inflict suffering. But all of us are beloved. Today's gospel reading tells the story of a whole town that cannot see past the pecking order of this world. Jesus returns to Nazareth and begins to teach in the synagogue. Now, it being Jesus, he says some pretty amazing things, and everyone's astonished. His hometown has already heard about the healings he's done elsewhere, so you would think they'd be thrilled by his visit. Instead, they are offended by him. Other translators of this text say they found him too much for them, and they fell foul of him. Why? Because they knew him. He grew up there. His family of origin lived among them. They were acquainted with his blood relations and familiar with his social status. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, they ask? How could this lowly craftsman have something to teach them? This is not how it's supposed to be. Maybe if he were from Harvard, they might say. 
We would listen to him. But the guy graduated from DeVry University with a certificate in woodworking. He used to live in East San Jose. Who does he think he is? So they won't listen to him. They think he's being too big for his britches. And they close their hearts to his profound wisdom because they can't let go of the world's illusion of hierarchy and who owns wisdom. And it's a shame. Because Jesus can perform no miracles where people refuse to let him in. The Nazarenes miss out on healing and revelation because of their closed-mindedness and lack of faith. Not only do they shut out Jesus, they also sort of give up on themselves. When they can only hear a powerful message from so-called important people from the outside and not from someone who grew up among them, they're sort of speaking out against themselves. And they are denying the miracles God wants to work through their own lives. So let this be a reminder to all of us. Jesus has come to turn our world upside down. Let us keep our hearts open to receive his wisdom because it can come from anyone, even those around us that society disregards. And know this, believe it or not, God also wants to work through you. So don't block divine grace by thinking that you're not good enough. Your faith in Christ will suffice and who you are will be exactly what God needs to perform that particular miracle you are called to participate in. There is a second reason I have for loving how Jesus reorders our expectations, and it's mentioned in today's reading from Paul. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. Paul wrote these words from experience. He was once a Pharisee whose power led him to persecute Jesus' followers. But after his conversion on the road to Damascus, his evangelizing for Christ brought him hardship, insults, persecutions, and calamities. Yet even though he fell from power as a religious leader, it was only in his new life of weakness and vulnerability that God's true power could manifest. What this means for us is this. The grace of God does not enter this world via religious leaders who judge others, nor does it arrive with a trumpet fanfare or in tanks and jeeps, on nationally televised speeches or via Wall Street traders. No, divine power breaks into this world through people like you and me. And the culture at large may or may not consider us very important, but the eyes of God regard us with a love that makes us strong, even in our vulnerability. Because God's power is made perfect in weakness. Not only does Christ work through us regular folks, he can also enter the world through our imperfections and our suffering. Now, suffering's not good in and of itself. God doesn't want us to suffer. But the fact is, to live in this broken world is to suffer sometimes. And what Paul is trying to tell us today is that good can come even from suffering and weakness and vulnerability. Because where God mends us is also where God can help us mend others. You have probably heard of the notion of the wounded healer. The wounded healer. Some of us have gone through a tragedy or ordeal that has broken our heart. It may take years for that break to mend, and we may never be the same again. But God's love is working through those very cracks in your heart, so that in your weakness, the power of God can shine forth. 
This is how support groups work. An AA sponsor is much more qualified to help a fellow alcoholic because she has gone through it herself. Or if you've suffered from loneliness in your life, that pain may spur you to speak to someone sitting alone at coffee hour in the parish hall because you know how it can feel. Losing a loved one, being laid off, these are many ways and there are many ways that we can be wounded in life. And the topsy-turvy message of Jesus is that we can be a healing presence for others precisely because we've suffered similar wounds. We've been pricked by the same thorn. Remember that the word compassion means to suffer with. For whenever we are weak, then we are strong. And God is with us through it all. I have been told that some of my best sermons are the ones where I am vulnerable up here at the pulpit. And it might look easy, (laughs) but it's not. And uh, if that is one way in which some of my cracks have uh, helped others, then I put that before you as an example, perhaps, of how we can help each other in our vulnerability. So today, let us give thanks for Jesus, who came into the world and turned it upside down. May we always know that God's grace is sufficient for us in all times and in all places. Amen. Amen.